Gentlemen, we do not stop till nightfall. What about breakfast? We've already had it. We've had one, yes. What about second breakfast? Don't think he knows about second breakfast, Pip. What about elevensies? Luncheon, afternoon tea, dinner, supper. He knows about them, doesn't he? I wouldn't count on it. All right. Hey, welcome. Actually, uh, welcome back to the podcast, PCL OTR, the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power podcast. It's a mouthful, isn't it? Um, we're doing what's called a second breakfast episode. I don't know if I'm really thinking that this is like a mid-season check-in. I just feel like there was some stuff that kind of like came to our attention after the episode, stuff that came out in the media that we want to go over and really didn't want to pad the next episode with too much, kind of keep that trim for the review and just go over some of the cool things that we wanted to discuss this week. Uh, I'm Brian. I'm from Pop Culture Leftovers. I'm joined by Mr. Joe Stark from Starkcast Podcast. Welcome, Joe. Hey, stoked to be here. And we've got Mr. Billy Blinks from the Reality Guys on YouTube. Welcome, Billy. Thanks, guys. This is awesome. Being able to not have to just be dead on to one episode for us to kind of just take a breath and kind of see where we all stand. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a fun one. Uh, Jake could not be here tonight, but he will be back on the next podcast. So, yeah, the fellowship is broken. He <laughs> was left behind. <laughs> yes. Wait. So, which one does that make, Jake? We've got to figure this out now. Jake is Largo now. Now he's just in the caravan, getting left behind. <laughs> Joe, you're not Largo anymore. Jake is Largo. All right. <laughs> Turn quick. Now I can be a harfuck that can dance a jig. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know the. Uh, what I wanted to talk about this week. Oh, actually, first, we have an email. Yeah, let's go over the email. Uh, it comes from listener Nathan Toy, and it was, uh, the subject was Hal Brand Sauron Theory. He says, hey, guys, love the pod so far. So I, so I agree that the show is setting up for Hal Brand to be Sauron and that all signs point to that. But I can't shake this feeling that the show is purposely setting it up. Just to throw a curveball in there, I was thinking about it, and it would be crazy if at the end of the season it is revealed to Galadriel that Halbrand is evil and going into season two she has to deal with that betrayal. The next season she goes after him and is trying to take him out under the assumption he is Sauron. Uh, and they catch up, to def- uh, catch up to him and defeat and slash imprison him. And the big old plot twist is that he isn't Sauron like we all thought, but he's the future Witch King, and the manipulative lessons he taught Galadriel are the lessons he learned from the real Sauron, uh, revealed to be Anatar and Linden this whole time. This revelation that Halbrand isn't Sauron is another huge body blow to Galadriel as she thought she finally got to Sauron and ended his threat for good. Just an interesting avenue they could go, and that comes from Nathan Toy. Thoughts? I mean, yeah, you never know. It's, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, <laughs> he had that pretty well thought out. Um, but that was one of the things I was worried about when we were first talking about this is, is it, is this a, just a writer's trick to paint Halbrand is a, as a red herring or is he 
are they intentionally doing this because he is Sauron, which I like because I like that theory. Um, but the, the funniest option to me is if this is all incidental and the writers are somewhere freaking the fuck out because there's this huge trend online and they're worried that people are going to be disappointed if it doesn't pan out that way at all. I think it's a pretty interesting theory. I mean, I just like the idea of it. Maybe Galadriel kind of thinking that she's really onto Sauron and, and her maybe mistakenly trying to identify someone. It's the same kind of thing I've been thinking about kind of the Joe sentiment is how much of this show is going to be on the nose with lore. And we know a decent amount is going to change, but also is this going to be a show where what they show you is what you get, or are they going to be deceptive kind of in that storytelling and keep the audience out of the loop a little bit? And we really haven't gotten too far in to be able to know what the kind of trend of the show is going to be. So I think that's as logical an explanation as any. Um, so I'm looking forward to see. I think that it's an interesting theory. Here's the thing. I think that, you know, let's say we as an audience are under this assumption as well that he is Sauron. And, you know, the, basically the show is pointing that way, that he's going to be revealed to be Sauron. And it ends with that. And then we go into season two, firmly believing that Halbrand is Sauron. And then they pull the rug out from under us. And then now he's the Witch King. I just don't know if that makes sense for, like, I think it's like a big, a big deal to find out if he is Sauron by the end of the season and just kind of, like, keep it there. I actually like what you said in a previous episode, Billy. You were kind of alluding to the fact that, you know, he f- comes across this body, takes that necklace with the sigil and the pouch, and, and uh, the person is actually not dead. And we end up finding that person later on down the line in the second season. So he comes face to face with like, you know, the guy that he's taken the, you know, shape of. And I find that a little bit who would turn out to be Theo's father. I find that a little bit more of an interesting twist personally. I, I don't know if the show would want to go that route. It does sound a little bit like, I don't know, maybe like a soap opera where it's like, Oh, and you thought they were dead, but they're not. And, and then we find out, you know, it's, it's, his, it's it was his twin brother all along. Um, I I don't know. What do you What do you guys? I still I still think he's Sauron. I really do. I get a, I get strong Sauron vibes. I, I I'm tending to agree with you, Brian. I've been kind of thinking about this this week too. Is just because the character of Hal Brand and, and that actor, and like we're saying, like that body is Sauron right now doesn't mean that they will necessarily stay with that actor being Sauron. Like you said, the whole shape-shifting thing does come into play. And we've seen plenty of shows, whether it's like things like Westworld or, or things like that, where different actors are playing different characters because they're assuming different identities. So that's definitely something I think could be possible. And I, as far as that theory I had before, I definitely think if that were to come into play, it would more than likely be something like Galadriel, you know, coming across this person maybe towards the end of the season because now they are heading over to Middle Earth. And so then she would be one of the only people who actually knows that that dude is in two places at once now. And now she really knows there's something going on. So that's kind of more so where I'm leaning. But um, I just like again, I do like that the show does open up to theorizing, even though. Tolkien does have a established history. It's it's a really interesting way they went about it, which I think makes it a lot more interesting as an audience member. Let's say Sauron does change uh, form. He, he, you know, he's a shapeshifter. He can do so. Let's say he does change form in the second season. Is 
I mean, are we going to be happy with yet another season of trying to guess who this guy could possibly be at that point? Or, or is it going to get a little bit monotonous and frustrating for us as viewers? I, I, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that they can't mm-hmm. do it well. I'm just saying, like, you know, I mean, it might be a little bit more of the same. So I'm just curious. I, I would prefer that if they do have a change where where we see like they confirm that that yeah Hal Halbrand is Sauron and now he's changing shape into something else. If they do go that route, I would prefer to go into season two actually knowing who he is, and that because that way we're not getting the same type of mystery box story all over again. Um, I I go to go back to that theory that that maybe there is a a, a different Halbrand that's that's out there. I think that would be really cool because it would be neat to see Charlie Vickers be able to play like a second version of the character. And also if if there is some sort of shapeshift change, then it would also allow him to stay in the narrative, which would be great. That's true. Um, back to Nathan's theory. I don't know if I see this panning out the way that you put it. I think at the end of the day, if we find out he's anybody – other than Sauron at the end of this season, we're just going to find out that he's the Witch King. That's where it would, you know what I mean? So, but I think personally, it would just be so incredible to look back on the entire season, going back to episode two, where, you know, she's on a raft with Sauron, unbeknownst to her this entire time. I just think that that would be more mind-blowing. And I think to casual audiences... I think a lot of casual audiences that don't really get into like the lore and the history and the appendices and the Silmarillion stuff like that, I think that they're just looking as as Adar being Sauron. You know, dude looks evil. Uh, yeah. Watch Warden has said like he goes by many names. Maybe he's maybe it's Sauron goes by many names. Maybe it's Adar. So I think casual audiences might not be too hip to who Sauron might be other than Adar. So I think the only reason I even think of the shape shifting stuff is, and again, I keep going back to what lore will be included and not. And I just, I do have a hard time thinking that they don't include the Anatar character, you know, the kind of Lord of gifts, elvish disguise that Sauron takes on because his friendship with Kella Brimbor is obviously going to be key. And I doubt that they would try to cut that out of the show. So that's really where my head is where I think like if Halbrand is Sauron and they are leading us that way, can we see? And like you were saying, are we going to play this game every season of who is Sauron? I wouldn't want that to be the case either. I think I would want the case that if they did make the shift and you know that happens that we see right away who he is. And and, and hopefully, in my opinion, maybe like the Anatar character, just so we know that, like you said, I don't want to play the guessing game either. But again, it's interesting. I, I like that. I really can't tell where it's going, which is awesome. What you're saying about Calabrimbor actually brings me to like the next topic I wanted to bring up. But I wanted to thank Nathan for the fantastic email. And uh, yes, if you also want to contribute to the show, send us an email, pclotrpod at gmail.com. We'd be happy to read your emails on the show. All right. So last week, me and Joe were having a conversation and we were and well we were all having a conversation but I think me and Joe kind of touched on the fact that it was it, it felt weird maybe to have uh Calibrimbor in the process of getting the forge built 
for you know the for them to make the 20 rings of power without Sauron being the Anatar and and influencing him and having a friendship with him and I wanted to present this to you and I think we did talk about this in a Facebook message maybe what if what if Sauron has been communicating with Calibrimbor through one of the seeing stones now you know last episode Muriel says that, you know, there were seven, six of them have vanished, and now they are, uh, now they have one, and they don't know where the other six are. What if Calabrimbor had come across one of these seeing stones, put his hand upon the seeing stone, the seeing stone being influenced by Sauron, it gives him a vision, a vision of the forge. And I also wanted to point this out. Calabrimbor says something very odd when he's talking to Elrond about, you know, the forge. He says, I need it completed by spring. Why spring? Well, I'm thinking to myself, maybe this vision kind of said, like, you know, he got the feeling that it needed to be completed by spring. I don't know how to, I don't know how to tell the seasons (laughs) Um, there in the capital of uh, Linden, because it, I mean, the trees always look like it's fall. So I have no idea how you'd be able to tell the season or the time. But uh, I just found it odd that he says, I need it completed by spring. It's like he's got like specific instructions that it has to be completed by spring. So what are the chances that, like, instead of, you know, Sauron meeting up with Calabrimbor in person, this is all being done through the seeing stones and through a vision that Calabrimbor has had from his interaction with it? Yeah, the, the way that, you know, the magical tech of this world works, that's absolutely feasible. Um, when... When we got that Palantir in the last episode, I did some research online, and there's really not much to be said about the Palantir in Middle-earth until after the the downfall of Numenor. And then there's like seven of them that are brought over. But since they're playing it fast and loose with, with the source material, I think it could absolutely work that way here, is that if 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 it's Anatar or some analog of that character that he's dealing with, then that would be a way that he would be able to communicate with them with, you know, without actually being there in person. And the, the timeline to be done by spring, I wonder if it, if it either has something to do with it's, you know, the rings need to be made at that time of year, or if, the, if he just knows that, you know, this is the next time I'm going to be, in your realm is going to be in spring and it would be great if this thing were ready to go by the time I get there. I think they talk a lot about stars and about alignments and things like that. And we're talking about things that maybe delving in sorcery or necromancy or whatever type of dark art you want to kind of compare, especially talking about maybe this Morgul blade and the things that they're going after. So I think these storylines align more than just, Oh, they were going for the rings and for this blade. I think they there's something where it, I think they're going to make some kind of a connection. I, I think they need that artifact by spring and they need the forge by spring. They talk a lot about, you know, Aaron deal becoming a star. They talk about a lot of the star maps and books. So I think there must be there could be something that comes into 
play as far as it being prophecy or, you know, like I said, cycles of the stars and things that are even higher level, you know, he talks about that I'm not a God, but not yet. So again, there's just this kind of grand scale of things where like you guys are saying, it has to be very specifically. And I don't think that was a throwaway line that they needed it in that timeline. I think you're, you're definitely right about stars being important. You know, uh, I, th- I think if even you go back to the first episode, there's a, there's a scene where Galadriel puts over like a, like a silk hood or something like that. And it has stars on it. I could be wrong there, but I think I am right. Um, so stars are very important. Maybe in the vision, I mean, I'm going back to this vision, guys. Maybe in the vision, he does have a look at the stars and the alignment, and he knows what the season is. You got to think this guy's been around for a thousand years. He's probably got the stars memorized at this point, you know? So I, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, <laughs> it, maybe it's a stretch, but I think it's, I think there's something behind maybe the seeing stones and the fact that they mentioned that, you know, some of them have been missing. I mean, I guess you could say it's just the throwaway line, but sometimes throwaway lines come back. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that it does fit right into that's how the the cutting edge long distance communication of this time worked. Yeah, yeah, it works. It does work. It does work. Instead of just getting like a, a flashback scene of Celebrimbor meeting with, uh, you know, Sauron uh, as the Anatar. So, I mean, it's another way to tell this story. I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. Joe, I know you had some interesting stuff that you wanted to go over uh, about the actor that plays Disa on this last episode, The Great Wave. Uh, yeah, the, the actor Sophia Namvet. I've, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, the the scene where she was making the, the plea to the rocks and it's the 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 vocalizing that's in that that's the the actor actually doing that that's that's her voice and it's <laughs> it's just so incredible and 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 finding that out i thought was a a real treat that um to to learn that because i i don't know about the rest of you but i've been absolutely loving her portrayal of of disa in the show i think she brings a lot of heart and levity to the the scenes that she's in and then to to know that she can you know do that with her voice as well just what an incredibly talented uh what an incredibly talented person yeah man i i love her character i love the playful back and forth banter between her and duran you can tell that it's it's uh it's a good marriage they and they and and uh the kids are rowdy it's fun i love her character and honestly the singing that she performed uh, was amazing. And then just the fact that we did get to see some of those, like the sand and rock granules start to move when she sang, it made me appreciate the theme song and the intro a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I totally know what you mean. Because <laughs> when it showed that stuff vibrating, I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah. I, I, I've been loving this show so much. I, I bet by the end of this series, it will have grown on me more. <laughs> Like you guys said, I like the little bit of home life that she provides. And, you know, you kind of think about the scene with Elrond there at the end and Doran about how they actually met. And, you know, probably the only literally the only person in Casa Doom who could have that conversation and get that human side out of him. And it's again, it's really cool to see because we know where this series is going. Things get serious. Nothing is going to get lighter for the circumstances and the relationships for these characters. So those moments, I think, are going to 
mean a lot more even as the show continues. I agree. Um, another thing that we didn't talk about in the last episode was Farazan's son. And uh, I think it's interesting that Kemen is a new character as well. So totally made up for the show. And so Kemen is striking up a relationship with Aerion, who is uh, Elendil's daughter. And she's a brand new character. So we've got two characters that are forming a relationship that are 100% real new creations uh, by the showrunners. I think that that's a really smart idea for them to do that. And, and I really, and I, and I'm, I worry about this because I already like these characters, but I think that they're going to be the lens that we're going to see the destruction of Numenor through. And, and I, I think that we're meant to care about these characters so that we worry about them when Numenor's downfall happens on screen. And I, I'm, I'm wondering if it's going to be something like a, a, a story like from Titanic. Like that sort of love story where it's these doomed lovers and I couldn't think of a more perfect scenario to write something like that in Middle Earth than on Numenor at this time period. I think Kemen's going to kick her off that door. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that we're talking about this, too, is that so far for me now, I know we're only four episodes in, so there's a lot of time for this to change, but I'm not thinking it's going to is that. The, the non-canon characters have not been a distraction. They've been a highlight in a lot of ways, which is really cool because we know there's these really awesome character and plot moments coming for a lot of these characters that we're probably going to get to see on screen. But to have these non-canon characters be able to flesh the world out and make it a little easier for ourselves to put ourselves in their positions because we know of Elendil and, and, and Durin and Elrond, but it's really been a highlight for me that these new characters have not been a distraction. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been, uh, like you said last episode, how you've really kind of turned around on Aaron Deer. I'm right there with you. So, I mean, you know, it's not that I turned around. It's just like, he's brought a lot more to the table. I'd say within the last few episodes and I've really enjoyed his portrayal. And the fact that Jake brought up last episode that it was totally improvised, in the third episode that he put his hand upon the tree. And I was just like, man, you know, this guy is, he's giving it his all. He is playing this character and he's, he's, he's a wonderful addition to the, um, the elves that we've seen in the Jackson movies. And not only what we've seen uh, to, to what we've seen in this show as well. So, um, Oh, total badass fighter too. Yeah. We've seen him do some really cool shit. I can't wait to see him in these next fights that we're going to get at this battle at the watchtower. Oh, I know. Oh God. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to that. I'm still hoping there's a battle, Joe. We need that big battle, man. We need that big battle. Oh, it's coming it, for, for sure. I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be the end of the season set piece with, with maybe the Numenorians coming to, to save the day. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think maybe the tower even. They've talked a lot about that tower, and there's a lot of scuttle online that people may think that tower may be a tower we see in Lord of the Rings. It could be Kirith Ungol. It could be where Barad-dûr ends up. And again, I don't have the maps in front of me right now, but it would be really intriguing if this beginning location and the watchtower that they abandon ends up becoming one of those iconic locations that we know about. Last thing I yeah. think... Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say... Uh, 
shit, I should have had this map right in front of me for this. Okay, so there's the the one that's on the river that's by Gondor. That's like, is that Os? Osgiliath? Okay, so this one, it had an Oz name, didn't it? I just can't remember which one it was. I can pause if you want me to. Uh, Yeah, why don't you? I'm going to try and find that. Billy, you found the name of the tower. Yeah, it was Oz Tirith. So, I mean, you were right on, Joe, with the kind of closeness to Oz Gilead, So <laughs> I knew it was an Oz. <laughs> an Oz. <laughs> I was thinking. But yeah, so, I mean, again, I just... From what we're seeing in the show, the iconic locations we're already visiting, mm. to have this location be in the first episode, um, you know, the how the, the show starts in the opening lines, not everything starts as evil or be, begins as bad. I, I know I'm butchering it right now, but just the idea that things that are evil weren't always evil. And I think seeing like a lot of those locations early on and that we know that end up becoming corrupted or abandoned, you know, Casa Doom, possibly this tower. Uh, you know, we know what happens to Numenor. So I would love for that to end up being something. And again, if any of our listeners who are deep into the lore know the maps well, know maybe if there is already a set connection and we know what this ends up being, we'd love to know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I love seeing this series, seeing, you know, these places now not corrupted and just full of life, like Kazadoom, like being able to see that fully realized and full of life, you know, as opposed to what we got in the Jackson films in the third age. It's, it's, it's awesome. I think it's just, it's worth watching the series just for some of that, um, you know, but, um, oh, Billy, uh, we, we have a, an Instagram, let people know about our Instagram. Yeah, so now we're, we're kind of circling out and rounding out our social media presence. So uh, the Instagram is up. There are uh, a link to the web Pop Culture Leftovers website. Obviously, be able to find all of the information, posts, everything for not just this pod, but Brian and Jake's regular pod. Uh, the handle for it on Instagram is PCLOTR underscore pod. So if you look up PCL or TR, the Rings of Power podcast, just how you search us on iTunes or Spotify, however you find the podcast, you'll find us there. Um, I post the link about once a week in on socials and inside even stuff for pop, regular pop culture leftover. So check it out. Um, like I said, episode links, stories, kind of polls, questions, and just kind of build up the presence there too. Awesome. Yeah, I'm happy to have an Instagram. Definitely follow us on Instagram. Billy's taken over that, and I'm sure you're posting some interesting stuff. I'm not on Instagram, guys. So, <laughs> uh, uh, Yeah, so I mean, obviously, at the first opening post kind of introduced the site. We have a post for every episode, so obviously this one will have a post as well. Uh, but starting today, I actually started to post this kind of, like we said, kind of poll question. So today I actually put out, and it's kind of funny we're talking about this, which identity mystery is your most intriguing? Is it Adar? Is it Halbrand? Is it The Stranger? So again, we're going to have posts like that and just kind of get the interaction going. And I love to hear what the audience, kind of like what through lines they really appreciate. So Yeah, talk of The Stranger kind of went by the wayside after the last episode. I'm sure that's going to strike up again, hopefully, when we get the next episode and we get back to the Harfoot storyline. So I'm sure I'm going to be, like, dissecting everything going on in that episode, maybe. I'm still, like, 50-50 on that one, still thinking it could be Gandalf. So we'll see. Uh, Yeah, last thing that I wanted to talk about is someone on Reddit posted a picture of Gil-Galad 
and Adar right next to each other. And and if you notice, they've got their they've got their neck plate armor. And if you look at the neck plate armor, it matches up. The neck plate armor has like Joe, you were saying it looked like like a top uh topographical map. The, Dil- yeah, the squiggly lines that you see on a topo map that that all somewhat, you know, kind of wrap around like it it looks like hills or a coast or something like that from a topo map. And Billy, you even went a little bit further and said it looks like rivers on a topo map. I, I think honestly, if you kind of even zoom out, because kind of what we were doing in our investigating was zooming in a lot, and if you kind of just pull yourself back just a little bit, to me, it just really looks like the outline of really like one river. And I, again, in my eyes, from doing the rewatch and stuff, uh, we talk about kind of um, their origins. And Aaron Deere mentions that he's from uh, Beleriand, and Beleriand obviously doesn't exist at this point in the chronology, but Beleriand's known to have the river that goes from north to south. They mentioned I've been down that river once. So to me, river kept sticking in my head. And again, I don't discount that it could also be because we've already seen symbols in the show represent maps and topography, but in, at least where I'm sitting right now, the river is what is kind of where I'm leaning towards. And um, I know there are plenty that if you do the research, different rivers and stuff, especially even with Beleriand, um, but that's where I'm sitting right now. The theory that I find the most interesting of like who is Adar, and you think about this. Yes, his name is Adar. I don't think that was his given name. They call him the orcs call him father, and I think that's like his new kind of like you know now that he's a villain, that's his villain name. And uh, I think before that he had a completely different life as an elf, and. What I'm, what people are saying is that he might be one of Fanor's sons, the only of Fanor's sons that survived the first age, Maglor. Yeah, I like that. That I did a whole bunch of digging earlier about elven bloodlines going back into the first age, and because I was kind of going on that same track that maybe this is some sort of highborn elf, because it's very curious that he would have some sort of same like you know vestments or whatever that that Gilgalad was also wearing and so it, it led me to believe that maybe this was some sort of highborn elf that then fell of, of very great ways no i i definitely agree in the sentiment highborn elf elf that existed from you know the first age also the kind of prevailing theories out there are either aeol or maglin um, even specifically Maglin because of some of the things that he's known to have. He's actually known to have a black dagger from his father. Uh, Maglin also is was very averse to light and kind of makes sense also with what's going on here. But yeah, that those are two other ones. And you can we could spend you know do a whole episode just on that type of lure there. But um, Aeol and Maglin having an obsidian black dagger and then kind of the stuff about light aversion and being from the first age and kind of there being a murky history of hell they would have gotten there leaves that open to be a possibility as well yeah they oh shit the maglin stuff it, it, there's a strong case for that now too with what you've just presented man <laughs> yeah uh it, it's like i said it's the the dagger stuff the like again and also the the idea that knowing that hey i've been down that river 
the timelines line up with and the locations line up where Maglin and was, had been in the lore. Mm. So again, it's just going to be really cool. And it, while people may be listening to us right now saying like, guys, it sounds like super convoluted. I really do believe that with a few well-placed monologues and an interaction, I really do think that we can be caught up enough to accept it for what it is. I do too. And I think the show has done a good job with the characters that we have on the show now of giving us events that have happened in the past. I mean, the first episode dropped a lot of information on the War of Wrath. We've also had Elrond and Galadriel and many other characters give us the story of Arendelle. I mean, there's no reason why we can't get some backstory as to who Adar is and for it to for it to make sense by the time we do get there. Because I do think that there's a reveal with that character. I'm not sold that he's Sauron at all. So I think there's definitely something else behind it because he's not just Adar. This guy has uh, an entire life before he became Adar. I think we're going to find that out. I can't not see them not wanting to explore that by the time we end this first season. I, I agree. And I, I think the the costuming of him has a lot to do with that. I think it, or at least pointing towards that because that's intentional that they would put something on him that matches the high king of the elves. I mean, come on. That's, there's some sort of connection there. And I do think that, uh, you know, I do like the theory that he was kind of left by the elves, kind of abandoned by the elves. But I also think that there was some element of torture. And if you look at his skin, if you look at the scars, I think that there was definitely some element of torture that, pr- that he probably went through before he could prove his loyalty to Morgoth. Oh, yeah. Like, Morgoth hated elves, so it's like, you need to... <laughs> I can't have any pretty elves around me. You need to scar up that fair countenance. Well, and to make sure that, you know, he wouldn't get all these insider secrets and then, you know, give them back to the elves. He had to make sure that this guy was, like, down for the cause. Yeah, which again, that's why even last week before we even started to really go into the theory crafting, I I kind of thought it had to be something where there has to be some kind of deep affront that he feels that the elves did to him. I know there's got to be some weather. And that's why I kind of like that Maglin theory because of his father and his father. There's there's there's, there's, there could be the, you know, honor, you know, you dishonored my family when we were there for you, did everything for you, left us for dead blah 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 kind of that could be the kind of standardized villain talk but i still also like the idea that him and sauron maybe aren't really on the same page and he has his own kind of aspirations which i think would make it a little bit more dynamic especially for for a five season show to kind of have that in early on yeah if you're a star wars fan he's kind of like hux when uh kylo ren is away (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) so there you go i like that Yeah, Uh, that is all I have. But I wanted to end it with Billy. I know you had more to kind of bring up in the second breakfast episode. Yeah, I again, a lot of it um, good. Well, in a good way is we've actually kind of gotten through a lot of the things I wanted to talk about. Um, There's something even more so in the midseason stuff. And it's kind of a conversation we brought up early. But I really want to talk about and still see if you guys what you guys think on Theo's dad, too. I, I'm I have a lot of the stuff on the internet, which I found interesting. I want to know if you guys think has any kind of relevance is that we haven't seen his ears yet. And people are saying, is this a thing where 
he knows who he is, his mom, and he may be half elvish. And this is a thing that is trying to be kept from that town and the, where they kind of know sympathies are, you know, lied and with Morgoth and kind of don't have a great relationship with the elves in the tower. And I don't know. I kind of want to, got to get your guys temperature check on the Theo storyline outside of we've kind of focused just on the sword. But like, I think his lineage is kind of fallen to the back burner a little bit and i mm. kind of just wanted to hear your guys's thoughts because we really haven't talked about that recently i've known i've noticed it as well from the first episode and i almost brought it up when we recorded our first episode breakdown that we never see his ears uh, but i felt like at that moment the only person that we were looking to as possibly being the father would have been aaron deer and from the sounds of everything that bronwyn and aaron deer's interactions uh, have have kind of like uh, led me to believe is like they've never, I mean they've never, they've never hooked up, you know. So it, it's just been like this attraction from afar and these you know these conversations that they've had. But you bring up an interesting interesting point that they they have gone out of their way to not show us his ears. Could he be half elf? I mean it's definitely a possibility. I still feel like there's a strong chance that. He is the heir to the man in the Southlands who made the blood oath to Morgoth and the legacy of the Witch King will be passed to Theo. So I don't know. I Yeah, I want to see Theo's ears. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't noticed that yet. The, the, they hadn't really showed his ears. And so I had not given any thought... That, that he could be half elvish that would be interesting and man talk about like some self-hate because he's, he seems to not be thrilled by by elves like when arondir shows up in was that the first episode and he's like what is he doing here um i i, I don't know i i guess part of me had been going along thinking okay maybe halbrand's his dad and yeah, I I don't know. I'm, I'm still really up in the air with Theo. But most of my I haven't done too much like deep theorizing on him so much yet. Um uh, I'm mo- I'm more fascinated with with the sword that he's carrying and and what that all means. It would be really interesting to find out if his dad was of somebody of importance or does the blade just work with anybody who picks it up because it seemingly worked with the old man Waldreg that was that he stole it from. And but you never know. It's a small enough village. Maybe they're of relation to that guy too. Um, yeah, I, 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 I guess I'll just have to wait and see on this one. Which which way it's going? Mm-hmm. Um, man, I I'm so fascinated by that sword though. And in that last episode, he like rolls up his sleeve and just like jams the pointy end of that thing into his arm and just lights it up. It's like all he needs to do next is just learn how to use it and. Man, if he could warm up to a Rondier a little bit, that guy should probably be able to teach him how to swing a sword better than anybody else around him anyway. Yeah, it'll be definitely be questioning, like, how did you get this sword? You better use a training sword around a Rondier. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> Maybe don't use the dark blade, <laughs> whatever the hell this thing is. Right. Yeah, I've um, seen a lot of chatter online leaning towards it's, a, it's maybe a Morgul blade and... Um, like Morgul is basically, it's just like the, the, you know, a word for like dark sorcery. Well, the no. way that, uh, the way that it 
reforms itself, that effect, if you look at that effect and the way it reforms itself, it's kind of like this dark, kind of like dusty uh, substance coming together. It reminds me of when Aragon is ho- holding the Morgul blade in the Fellowship of the Rings after Frodo had been stabbed, and it almost does the same effect when it, like, dissolves, when it poofs, you know? So, uh-huh. yeah, I think you might be onto something there, Joe. I thought another interesting thing, just in my couple of notes from the rewatch for this episode, um, in the other thing with Theo, I don't have the character's name, uh, Theo's friend, the one that he goes to do the exploration with, uh, looking for the grain and the supplies, the one that ends up leaving him behind. I feel like his name's um, Roy or something. It's close. It's like... Okay. Yeah. Um, something I thought was interesting is like right when they get to the... Rowan. Town, Rowan. Yeah. In a previous episode, he got nicked a little bit, or he got nicked a tiny bit with that blade, mm. and... He is not looking hot, man. I mean, if there's there's some screenshots you can stop and look at, and it look, the very similar effects, it looks like, they, you know, very faintly on his chest, kind of similar to when Frodo got stabbed, and you're starting to kind of see that spread, the kind of black veininess, and be really interested to see if that is something that would maybe even further the case that there is something different about Theo, maybe even having some elven blood, because he's obviously been pricking himself with it and using the thing and it doesn't seem to be leaving any kind of visible marks on him but his friend looks a lot worse for wear for barely having interacted with the thing so i I, that was another thing i had in my notes for hey is there something else going on with theo i dude i was thinking um i was just like a uh, something i noticed when when theo was battling the orc in the tavern he cuts the orc's hand palm with the blade with the sword and i was like i wonder if it would if it is a morgul blade if it would affect an orc the way that it affects hobbits or humans or elves and i kept i I guess i came to the conclusion that it's a dark creature made you know made from made from dark magic so i doubt it would have the same effect that's what i'd lean towards is the the creatures like that It, it they wouldn't have that effect on them right yeah yeah, orcs came from elves too, right? So maybe elves have kind of a resistance to it. So even though they're completely bastardized and warped and all that type of thing, they still have that lineage. So yeah. maybe that's kind of the difference. Sorry, my cat is trying to attack the microphone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anything else, Billy, that you wanted to bring up before we... Uh, two things I just had here in yeah. the kind of like little Easter egg department. Um, I had mentioned to you guys one I thought was cool. We had a, our first and least first one I caught um, a little nod to Mount Doom when they're talking about looking for the grain when they're at the tower. They said they've looked from every village from here to Orodwin, which is the name of Mount Doom. So thought that was kind of cool. It's just such a subtle reference because it isn't this horrifying, terrible place of death at this point in the universe, um, which I thought was really interesting. And also kind of along those same veins, when I was watching the scene with Elrond and uh, Doran and when the, the caving in happens, I really do think when you listen to the sound that they're alluding to the Balrog being there because it does sound like there's a bit of a, a roar during that kind of shaking and it would be a little bit of an acceleration, not mm. too much, but a little bit of an acceleration to having the Balrog be there. But we've seen the trailers too. So, um, I mean, I, I wanted to ask you guys again, do you think we're going to see it 
live this season or that's some kind of like flashback or something? I think we're seeing it. That's going to be wild. <laughs> yeah, I was leaning more towards maybe a premonition, but the way they're accelerating the timelines on this other stuff. But they also made it sound like like Mithril's just been discovered. And so like the yeah. majority of Mithril in, in Middle-earth has come from the mines in Casa Doom. So you would think they would need to at least have a little bit of time gone by to make it seem like they've mined enough of it to spread it around Middle-earth. Yeah, that's what's curious. I feel like a Balrog being alive and around and active near some of our main characters would be something very, very paramount. So again, it's, I'm just very curious. I, I doubt that it's a bait. I, I don't, or at least I don't want it to be a big bait and switch on Amazon's like marketing. And it's really not something that's going to be super relevant for the season and maybe for the series. But yeah, just another thing I had in the kind of Easter eggs that kind of prompted my thoughts of I wonder what they're going to do with that this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, you bring up a great point. It's yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal to to have a, a Balrog in this season. It's just I would be, I guess I would be let down if it was just like a, a vision. So. Also, really quick, this disclaimer: Balrog way tougher than a dragon. Balrogs are badass, dude. I would love to see some of that kind of monster fighting, kaiju fighting in Middle-earth that we ever get to really see in the stuff we watch. Yeah, where's that video game? Copywriting right now. Where's the yeah, Where's the video game where I, can, <laughs> where I can select Balrog and have him fight a dragon? That would be the shit. Yeah, it would. <laughs> yeah, it would. Um, anything else, Billy? No, that was it. This was awesome. I just, like I said, it's it's really cool to be able to, you know, obviously us going kind of plot heavy on our discussions and, uh, you know, some Easter egg things. It is nice a few days later to kind of unwind and kind of see what's like been sitting on our mind, because obviously the next time people hear us next week, it will be kind of moving forward. So, yeah, you know, it's nice to kind of reflect. And everything that we talked about on this episode, we might be throwing it out the window if we get some reveals next week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But it's fun to speculate. It's fun to talk. Last thing I wanted to say before we wrap up is, um, you know, going, you know, just doing deep dives on the show, doing deep dives on the lore and stuff like that. One of the things I I saw, and it has to do with uh, the Return of the King, is the moment where Gollum trips and falls into Mount Doom and the ring is destroyed. A lot of people theorize that the Valar are the ones that caused Gollum to trip in that moment. Are you buying it? I I love I, it, I it's as long it's like I like it. First off, I do like it. I don't it. I like it because it's one of these things, Brian, that'll never get actually confirmed. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yes. That's so, what makes it so much fun. <laughs> but it it would be really it would be something to say because again, if you know, in the books and they I think in the movies they do a pretty good job of doing. It. I mean, it was. Golem wins the exchange. He wins the exchange and he's tap dancing, basically doing like a Fortnite dance, like because he won the got the ring back and then he falls. The movie makes it seem like kind of Frodo's struggle with him is what makes him go over. But that's what kind of lends credence to the theory is that basically untouched, he gets he launches into Mount Dune where he loses his footing, where this is a, a creature, a guy who's been for hundreds of years following people, scaling mountains, doing all this stuff, and all of a sudden he loses his footing and he's off into the lava. So really cool debate. I would love it. That's it's a really cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. I just found it very interesting. I want to believe that the Valar intervened in that moment. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like they just because otherwise their their method of intervening was sending the the those Maiar to to Middle Earth that became the wizards, and it was the wizards that were helping. And and I like this that it's like okay, they they did just enough to help to get all these pieces in the right place so that they could get somebody holding the ring that they could then just kind of give a little push <laughs> right off the just edge. Little nudge, whether it's, hey, we're going to put a rock in your path. We're going to make this this ledge crumble just a little bit. You know, whatever, whatever it takes. I love it. <laughs> it's a I fun love theory. It. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank you guys for uh, joining me on uh, the second breakfast episode. Don't know if we're going to do another one of these. It was fun. Uh, maybe we'll yeah, do another one in the upcoming weeks, but uh, definitely good to do it. I think, you know, mid season, but we'll be back next week with episode five the untitled episode five i can't wait like so i just get i just get excited to read the titles at this point right yeah oh for sure but uh yes uh joe where can people find you man yeah you can find me on startcast a podcast i do where i just have uh long form conversations with guests I've also written a book that is a uh, post-zombie apocalypse kind of adventure story called I Become Death. It is available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. And Billy, where can people find you? Uh, You can find me on YouTube, The Reality Guys. Uh, I am the host of the channel. We cover everything and anything reality TV, all the heavy hitters. A lot of stuff comes back this week, including Survivor, Amazing Race. Uh, The Bachelorette hits its finale this week. Um, Also, something I haven't mentioned before, I've been doing a guest hosting gig over at The Real Zodiac with our friend Quentin doing a Halloween anthology. We've done every single Halloween movie up to the Rob Zombie ones, which we will have out this week and going up till Halloween ends in October. So you can check out The Real Zodiac to give Quentin a little plug. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Love Quentin. Love The Real Zodiac. I love guesting on the show. I know you've been on there, Joe. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Support Quentin and Bethany over there at The Real Zodiac. You can find me and Jake on Pop Culture Leftovers. This past week, we reviewed The Woman King and a bunch of other things. Uh, Goodnight Mommy on Amazon Prime Video. And uh, we talk about uh, Marvel, Star Wars, and DC News and and we theorize and read the leaks, and yeah, we're definitely deep into that shit. So, yeah, we will see you in just a few days with episode five. Really looking forward to talking with, having all four of us back and talking about the next episode. Guys, I can't believe we're halfway done with the season already. It's gone by so fast. I know, I know. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm I'm sad. I know. I'm going to be sad, too, when it's over. I think that once the season is over, I think that, you know, to keep the feed alive, you know, every I'd say every couple months or so, you know, any news or things like that that comes out, we should probably, you know, report on it and kind of keep the feed alive. Not just not just wait for the next season. You know, I guess that's great. Yeah. yeah, even I thought even possibly and I do kind of reaching out and see maybe if we can get some type of interviews here and there, cast production, anything like that over the next year after the season's over. That would kind of be something relevant too. fantastic. I love it. Yeah, let's let's do that. Put those feelers out there. Let's get I mean, I would love to get, you know, these actors and some of the people involved on the show to talk about their experience and maybe try to pry some information out of them for season two. <laughs> Where's Gandalf? Sure. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Later. Bye.